You are listening to the Mining Stock Education Podcast, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I think this bear market in commodities, the valuations of commodities against S&P 500 are at 50 years low. And I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to uh, to really buy at, at, at rock bottom prices, really pennies to the dollar. We're very fortunate because we we have some 50 million Canadian uh, assets in the management. So if you're 50 million at the bottom of the market, you know, um, nice things can happen to you and, and your fund when the bull market returns. And I think we're on the verge of, of that uh, to happen. Thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers. Feel free to engage the show by emailing me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, my guest today, I first listened to, I would say it was about six years ago after the publication of, of his book, The Big Reset, War on Gold and the Financial Endgame. I'm speaking of Willem Middlecoop. Willem is bullish on gold, as his book title indicates, but he's also very bullish on commodities in general, and he believes that we are at the start of a generational bull market in commodities. Uh, He focuses on investing primarily in the exploration stage of the mining life cycle as he manages the Commodity Discovery Fund based in the Netherlands. So, uh, Willem, welcome to Mining Stock Education, and could you begin by sharing with us why your fund focuses on investing in the discovery phase of the mining life cycle. Thanks for the invite. But um, well, as many investors know, this is the most exciting and often the most profitable phase during a mining cycle when a smaller exploration companies uh, strikes gold or silver or copper or zinc. Uh, we often see a very sharp increase in the market. Uh, capitalization of the Explorer company, um, which is pre-discovery often valued at 10, 20, um, 30 million uh, dollars. And after a, uh, well, discovery hole indicating this could be a world-class discovery, we see a sharp rise in uh, value, often leading to a valuation of uh, over 100 million, 200 million, 300 million uh, dollars. True discovery uh, and invention creates wealth. But that doesn't only occur in the mining sector. We see it in biotech and other sectors. Why did you decide to focus on finding discoveries within the mining sector? Yeah, it all started for me in the 1990s. I was an investor in Amsterdam real estate. Uh, It was all mortgage, so I was uh, quite a bit in depth. And I was studying the economic cycles. Uh, I became convinced we were in bubble territory with all the uh, tech stocks and uh, I decided for myself um, that when a market crash would uh, would start to happen, um, I would start to take profit on my real estate because I learned from my studies of monetary cycles that often real estate uh, lacks uh, a few years on, on, on the stock market. So when the Nasdaq bubble, um, well, uh, uh, burst, um, I started to take profit on the real estate, it was 2002, 2003, 2004. And I started to hedge myself by buying gold and silver positions, first physical, and then some mining shares, the, 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 the bigger names like the Newmans and the Barracks. Um, but I soon learned that the smaller companies uh, doing a discovery um, were doing much, much better. Um, so around 2005, I started to specialize on the uh, 
on the discovery cycle. Um, I started to study it more and more. I started to even write a small newsletter, the Middle Cope Discovery Alert Service, sending out uh, news about discovery holes. I was very fortunate to be very early invested in Aurelian Resources. Um, I bought um, 10,000 stocks for 30 cents six weeks before they made the discovery hole at Fruitland on Norte. That was beginner's luck. And then um, I rode it all the way to uh, over $40. Um, not with all of my shares, but I always had some shares left. And that made a huge impression on me. And um, and then I decided, well, you know, I, I like this so much. This is so interesting. Let's uh, really study it in detail. I was working as a journalist at that time, a market commentator for Dutch TV. But I soon decided, um, um, well, to, to quit as journalist and to focus on discovery and investing full time. And this occurred just before Lehman crashed. As a speculator, do you feel as if the mining exploration sector and pursuing discoveries there, that you have a higher probability of success versus other comparative sectors that focus on discovery? Uh, I'm also an angel investor in some startups. And um, in, in the startup scene, you, you have the same dynamics, one could say, you see the same in biotech. But I think as an investor, as a speculator, as a fund manager, you should focus on one thing and one thing only. Um, and because it started for me with uh, Aurelian Resources and I decided to stick to natural resources. Of course, the worst decision in my life was to start a commodity fund in 2008 at the top of the commodity cycle. Uh, I should have started a commodity fund now at the bottom <laughs> of the commodity cycle. But we're very fortunate because we're, we have um, some 50 million Canadian uh, assets under management. So if you're 50 million at the bottom of the market, you know, um, nice things can happen to you and, and your fund when the bull market returns. And I think we're on the verge of, of that uh, to happen. How often do you buy your initial position in your fund after that first discovery hole is announced versus when you buy before pre-discovery? We prefer to, to, to buy after a discovery hole and then very soon after. So often when there's a discovery hole, um, we will be buyers uh, at market, at, at the open. We buy all we can buy when we think it's it's a great discovery. Um, we, we did this when the Great Bear uh, discovery was announced and it was halted and then we got the news of the private placement and as soon as it opened, we bought shares in the open market. Um, buying pre-discovery is always risky, so we only do that when we have a very strong indication a discovery uh, could be made on a short notice, but often it's um, it's... it's uh, well, often you have to wait longer. Uh, we have a big position, a quite sizable position in Sama Resources. They do have a nickel discovery in uh, Ivory Coast, but it's a complex system. Um, they know the nickel is there. They don't know how much nickel is there. And um, often you have to play the waiting game. And when you've got too much money involved, you know, um, and you're in the waiting game, it, it's, it's, it's not the best position for, for great returns. Willem, after you see that initial discovery hole press release, can you talk about that first six hours? What do you and your team do within that six hours after that first hole is released? Actually, it's, it's about the first um, 24 or 48 hours. Um, because if you really talk about situation that a, a major discovery hole has been, um, has been discovered, 
uh, then you need um, often there's there's quite limited time before the market opens and and you heard the news often there's only half an hour or one or one half hour so then you do the basic research um, you look at the presentation um, you look at the insider sales but most important um, for me is to look at the graph um, when the chart is uh, is 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 showing um, an uptrend already it often uh, proves to me that there has been a leak and this is serious discovery and the insiders have been buying already when i see a discovery hole and the chart doesn't uh, doesn't uh, sh- show an uptrend i'm always a little uh, well i'm always a little hesitant to buy uh, buy a lot at the open um, but the first 24 hours or 48 hours are most important because there's a lot to study and um, I visit the, the bulletin boards a lot. Uh, I visit co.ca. There are always people who know more. There are always people who heard rumors. And there's a lot of advantage to be gained by uh, looking at all these public boards because this is no insider information. It's all public information. So we, we have to make sure we're, we're very well regulated. So we have to stay on the safe side and never can trade on insider information. And... Um, it, it takes a lot of time to read all uh, previous press releases because the discovery hall doesn't come um, out of nothing. So previous, there has been channel sampling, chip samples. So there have been previous drill holes. And, and you have to study it all. You have to read it all. And there's all, most of the time, there's, there's quite a bit of history to study. You have to study the... Um, um, the location, the geology, you have to look at Google Maps. And well, and this can take one or two days. But then you have a real advantage, a real uh, advantage uh, compared to other investors if, if you've done your homework well. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Orin has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSE under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. After you take that initial position in a discovery play, and let's say it's a couple months down the road and drilling progresses, what's the role of fundamental analysis and technical analysis in how you monitor your positions? Yeah, that's a great question because it, it all starts with a bang and then you get this very steep uptrend. Um, so if this is a world-class discovery in the making, um, what's very um important to to notice that the stock will rise and stay above the 50-day moving average Um, only once or twice in the discovery phase the stock will um, return to the 200-day moving average and that's most of the time a quite severe correction so as long as the stock stays above the 50 days moving average um, we tend to stay long and long only 
and only decide to take profits when we think the parabolic um, uh, phase uh, of the first stage of this discovery is, is going to end, then we, we tend to sell quite a bit. Uh, with Great Bear, we sold half of our position between seven and, and nine and a half dollars. And then we feel comfortable to ride the correction to the 200 day moving average. And then often the fund starts again. So you don't always just wait for that exit strategy where the producer buys out the deposit. Yeah, we always wait for that uh, that end game, but not with our full position. And we also, I told you we're high, highly regulated. And uh, for example, with Great Bear or Soul Gold, um, often a position grows to over 10% of our portfolio. And when it's over 10% of our portfolio, we need to scale down. We're not allowed to have one position uh, being over 10% of our portfolio. So then we have to take profits, but we all we always keep um, a, a very large position. Uh, Great Bear Resources is still over 5% of our fund. And I expect much higher prices uh, in, in, the, in the future. Um, but we had to scale down because it was over 10% of our fund. Uh, Willem, I talk to CEOs and fund managers who have been guests on this show. And from the CEO perspective, sometimes when they're an exploration company and their shares sell off, they're trying to figure out who's doing the selling. And oftentimes it could be a recent investor that maybe uh, took part in a private placement. I've also talked to fund managers who say that, you know, when they're not happy with what's occurring in the exploration company, they don't mind just blowing out the stock and getting their initial capital back. How do you approach things when you invest in an exploration play and you're not pleased with the progression or management decisions or how they're spending their money? What is your exit strategy at that point? Um, yeah, well, it, it's important to sell and it's often difficult to sell because especially when you have to sell at a loss. But often you better sell at a loss of 30% than wait for the loss to become 90% or even 95%, which happens in expiration stocks. But often for us, it's, it's quite difficult because if the stock is quite illiquid, um, because of our size and the very illiquid markets nowadays, we tend to have a large position, which is quite difficult to sell an open market often you, you if we start selling aggressively you'll break down the price so it, it can be difficult so it's it's always important to uh, to understand you made a mistake um early or the situation changed and and and, and react early often i i saw the press release or the first news about the uh, terrorist attack uh in um uh, Burkina Faso a few weeks ago and we had a position in Semafo and um, they were down 10-12% and I, I, I knew I had to sell right away, away but I waited <laughs> I thought well maybe there's an uptick and then often you, you tend to sell when it's down 20 or 30% so often when you see the news if it's good news on the discovery hall buy right away if it's bad news sell right away you launched your fund in uh, 2008, so you've already gone through a, a bear market. Because you focus on discovery, you can actually still make money in a bear market. But throughout a bear market, if you say to yourself, even though I'm bullish on the long term for commodities and mining, but I realize I'm in a bear market, do you keep more cash 
rather than positions or how do you navigate your fund through a bear market is very very hard because as an as a as a fund as a fund manager you're almost obliged to put your money at work you know you can't attract new investors and say we'll keep it cash for the next uh, few months or a year and wait till the uptrend starts again because you People, investors, um, they invest their money and they, um, well, they hope you'll put that money at work. And, and often we're into um, a few very good investments which show a real nice uptrend. But if you're in a general bear market, you have 10 discovery stocks going up in your portfolio, but the other 90% is going down. So then it's still, it's very difficult to make positive returns in a bear market, especially since the exploration uh, companies don't have any cash flow and have to, uh, you know, they have to, um, uh, dilute themselves and, and to um, uh, and 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 this this is in a, in a longer bear market the dilution is what kills you you know it's very hard to make uh, good returns but well we ended um, I think this bear market in commodities the valuations of commodities against S and P five hundred are at fifty years low. I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to uh, to really buy at, at as rock bottom prices really pennies to the dollar because your fund is such a high risk high reward fund how do you educate your investors in order to temper their expectations yeah this is maybe the most important uh, part during a bear market we had net inflows every year since our uh, inception so we even had net inflows in 2014 and 15 and 16. I think we're the only resource fund who can um, who has this track record, and this can only be done by being very open and, and very uh, well, um, very active on the information side. We do a lot of webinars. We send a lot of information out there, so we constantly show investors what we're doing, where the market is. And this has worked very well for us. Of course, there's a lot of frustration um, in our team, but also with the investors. And every month we have um, um, redemptions, but we always have a positive net inflow. It's, ve- it's very rare for us to have a net outflow. And we're very fortunate that we only have retail money, high net worth money, and these uh, investors tend to be much more loyal than the institutional investors. So. I know a few funds who work from London or from Toronto, and they had um, they were um, all their clients was um, more or less institutional, and they, they all left. So these funds they had massive redemptions, and that's what brought the market down that much. Do you primarily purchase your companies via the Toronto Venture Exchange? Is that the primary exchange that you participate in? It's it's the primary exchange. It's not the only exchange. Um, in the first few years, we ignored the Australian companies, but there's some very great uh, situations in Australia, also discoveries. So I think 20% of our portfolio is Australian listed now. Um, many Australian companies are also listed in London, on the London Stock Exchange, and um, we don't like to trade in London. Uh, it's um, it's 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 not a, a very efficient market. You still have to work with market makers. And you get sh- screwed sometimes. But we trade um, the London Exchange, the uh, 
Australian exchange, but mainly the Toronto Stock Exchange, the Venture Index. That's right. How does the Frankfurt Exchange compare to the TSXV? Oh, um, we ignore it almost um, uh, because if they they have a listing in Frankfurt, they also have a listing in in Toronto. So it's 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 a German situation. It's nice for the German investors. The Germans want to buy in their own country. They have they have an account for their own stock exchange. But it's very, very rare we trade Frankfurt, although it's very close to Holland. But um, we prefer to, uh, to trade it in Canada and have more liquidity. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. Many uh, investors feel that the Toronto Venture Exchange regulators have a, a louder bark than they do bite. Is there anything that you can share from an international perspective regarding your experience with the Toronto Venture Exchange and maybe some suggestions you might have? Oh, yeah. If you look at the, the level of front running and insider trading, you know, this would never uh, be allowed to happen in Europe. Our regulators in Europe would, would really put um, people... Uh, trading on inside information in jail or give them very high fines. So there's a very um, um, there's a very serious crime if you do that here. Uh, and I think the watchdog in in Canada, you know, is is asleep at the wheel. And uh, um, but well, mining is such an important part of the of the economy. So I think there's some pressure from uh, high above that, uh, you know, if people like Willem bring money to Canada, you know, uh, <laughs> let's not um, spoil this game. And, uh, uh, and, but I think it's, it's a shame what happens. Look at what happened with the, with the pot stocks and every hype is, hype is being um, well developed and, uh, and helped in a way, um, uh, Wall Street could be jealous. Do you focus at all on that uh, sweet spot, the pre-production spot on the Lassonde, a life cycle of a mining share right before companies go into production and that there's that expected increase in share price? Yeah, yeah, that's the second uh, best spot. So we play the discovery cycle, discovery phase, and we play the, uh, the starting, uh, the startup of, of production. Uh, currently, there's an interesting situation. Nevada Copper, um, they're on the verge of uh, starting production in uh, in US, and I think their valuation is is incredibly low. So we've been buying that that stock and uh, London Golds starting their uh, Fruitland Norte mine. Um, that's the uh, discovery I described at the start of our talk. It's your second go round. Yeah, yeah. Thirteen years later, that's that's amazing. So we invested there, um, but it's tricky. We've seen a few uh, new producers really collapse. If we look at the diamond space, um, 
we saw a few disasters there in Australia. We've seen a few disasters with starting producers. Of course, we have Victoria Gold in the Yukon, the first uh, serious gold producer in, in the Yukon. Uh, seems they're doing everything right, but well, we need to see a few positive results uh, on a quarterly basis. Um, so it's, it's a risky part, but um, high risk, high reward, yeah. And what percentage of your fund would be in that stage of the mining cycle? 10, 10 15 cents. Okay, yeah, so you definitely are a discovery fund. With <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, on average, uh, exploration. And um, we, we just completed a new strategy, um, um, well, concept for, for 2020. And we discussed that uh, 50% of our portfolio should always be the top 25 discoveries worldwide. So maximum 25 different names will make out 50% of our portfolio. And then we have ETFs. We play the market also by ETFs. So if we want to go long copper stocks, we prefer to go um, long the COPX instead of all the different uh, copper names. And the ETF um, makes, let's say, 20% of our portfolio. And then we have some other, um, some other pockets. Do you have to be bullish from a fundamental and demand standpoint on the underlying, underlying commodity before you would invest in a discovery play? No, um, no. Uh, the wealth creation from a world-class discovery is so strong that the market, uh, the general market or the underlying metal could go down by 30 or 40 percent that year and that stock will rise to 300 percent. And that's what I love about discoveries, you know. Um, um, a, a great discovery can be made by a very bad management uh, uh, management team. And the management team will be changed when it's a world-class discovery. We've seen that time and again. So uh, there's only one real criteria for us, and that's that's the quality of the discovery hole. And then the only thing which can go wrong is, and we've, we've seen that happening with Brex that was before our time, but if you really, um, you know, if the results have been... Uh, tampered with and if 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 the, uh, the gold dust is being salted in in the in the samples but that, these of course are very rare situations willem as we conclude do you have any parting advice to the investors that are listening to us in light of what we've spoken about today well people who um, are just starting to look at this uh, business um, they are the fortunate ones you know if you can put money at work now and you haven't experienced the losses we all experienced in the last few years like I said, it's really once in a lifetime situation and there's so much value out there and there, there are so few good projects. Uh, we've seen four uh, M&A transactions in the gold space in the last few weeks. Uh, today, a new one. Um, and and it shows that, that the producing companies are on the hunt for the last few real good deposits out there. So when a discovery has been made or will be made in the future, um, you're guaranteed that it will be bought out. And there are some very nice examples on our short list now. We expect a few buyouts. Um, we had eight buyouts this year, and we expect um, a, a few good ones next year. The best way to follow you, would that be on Twitter if investors want to follow your work? Yeah, right. Uh, um, I've been very... Um, uh, um, I had a lot of free publicity in the Netherlands. Um, I, I worked for Dutch National TV. I, I'm an author. 
but I stopped um, giving a lot of interviews for 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 the in the main, mainstream media. So I tend to to hide in the office and only do talks like this, um, who, which are really um, on, on the topics we, we like to, to to discuss. But I'm very open on Twitter, and I've got thirty thousand followers on Twitter, and I'm easy um, easy to find there. And I think that's the best way to follow me. Yep, and uh, Willem's handle is W Middlecoop on Twitter, and his fund's website is cdfund.com. Willem, I really appreciate you coming on Mining Stock Education and sharing your insights. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.